0: My name is Jenna. I won't tell you my last name. None of us will ever tell you our last names. Whenever I do use a last name, it's a fake. Sorry, but that's just the way it has to be. And we won't tell you the name of our town, or our school, or even what state we're in. If I told you my last name, the Yerks would be able to find my friends and me. And if they ever find us, it will be the end of the podcast. <music> Welcome to Lights. We're on book two. So, The Visitor is sort of a, a series of vignettes almost, in which they discover a little bit more about their morphs and what they can do with it, but mostly they just sort of struggle to find direction in this guerrilla war that they've been conscripted to. Uh, it's told by Rachel's, from Rachel's point of view. And it's sort of focusing on Rachel's relationship with her old ex-best friend, Melissa Chapman, uh, daughter of known Yurk controller, Mr. Chapman. And it, it, a large part of the action is Rachel... Uh, infiltrating the Chapman house to see like if they can figure out any more information about Mr. Chapman, about his movements, about where the pool of all the Yerks is or where other entrances are. And it sort of gets off track when she sees how distraught Melissa is about her parents acting weird and and, and inhuman and kind of cruel towards her. I think there's a the, the focus of this book is really the sort of family drama that is complicated by aliens in people's brains controlling them and keeping them from sort of engaging in this family situation. But the the group through a series of hijinks discover a heck of a lot more about the Yurks and Yurk hierarchy and uh, about Visor Three and just. How how people come to be controllers, I would say. Uh, is there anything I missed?
1: No, I think that's real good. Yeah.
0: Book two, the Visitor. A much more ominous title than I think the, the episode calls for. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, not that there's not ominous stuff in it, and it also in maybe every single book, because wow, but less scarring than the first book.
1: I'm not sure about that.
0: Maybe scarring in different ways? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, there was a little bit of body horror in this one. I mean, I think especially, like, Rachel's dream, or I should say nightmare, where she was a a shrew eating a maggot that was riding on a dead cat, and it made her vomit.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty intense nightmare. Uh, No, I was thinking uh, specifically more of the um, attempted abduction.
0: Yeah, like Jesus Christ! So they're like 12, 13, so Rachel's like a 12, 13-year-old girl.
1: She's and... a 13-year-old girl. That's yeah. some context here.
0: A dude on the street stops his car and tries to get her into his car? Like, it's an attempted kidnapping.
1: It's absolutely an attempted kidnapping, That's... foiled by, like, elephant man tactics.
0: Yeah, those that classic, I, I, I know in every self-defense class I've ever been in, uh, mostly it's uh, step on the inseam hit them in the stomach, and also morph halfway into an elephant.
1: Is it hard to shout, that's my purse, I don't know you, when you have your mouth morphed into a trunk halfway?
0: (laughs) Well, as the book demonstrates, she just kind of honks at him. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just this horrible animalistic hybrid, no better than he deserves. I kind of wish that she had gone full morph and just crushed the ever-living guts out of him. And I... That's crazy. It's crazy. First of all, it's crazy. Second mm-hmm. of all, she doesn't tell anyone. It's,
1: she never even thinks about it again.
0: No. I mean, when she gets into the car, she's worried that uh, the Chapmans saw her, which didn't seem to be the case. But like she she lies to them about what he was doing. And she yeah. doesn't tell her mom at all.
1: No, she doesn't even tell the other. Does she tell the other Animorphs? No, wait, you know what? She absolutely did, because then they were getting on her case. Jake was really tearing into her for morphing in public.
0: Right? That's their response. Their response is, what if he'd been a controller? So what was she supposed to do, Jake? Get abducted? Get fucked, Jake.
1: (laughs) I did notice that we're already book two, and Jake's already getting more morally dubious. Yeah. His command decisions have started becoming like, "Oh, yeah, sure. I'll just lie to you and hide as a flea on the back of you and we'll just bring that up later." Um, yeah, yeah you should definitely spy on your best friend who's obviously having some issues. Just pretend yeah. to be your cat.
0: That no was big deal. all layers upon layers of privacy invasion.
1: Jake is the NSA in this.
0: Whoa. <laughs> He's the bug. Yeah, I mean, she literally got bugged. <laughs> yeah the whole god everything that happened with melissa like this is i think the first book is really heavy on the body horror aspects and the just sort of the cosmic horror of being controlled and being manipulated like this this episode is really like an emotional terror just the fact that melissa sees that her parents are wrong and she she seems to internalize this that they don't love her but like when, when when Rachel walks into their house and uh, Mr. Chapman is just sitting there and not watching TV or reading, he's just sitting there staring?
1: Yeah. Is that seriously the best thing that Yerks have to do for fun when they're in a body? <laughs> just sit?
0: I guess so. I don't know what else they would do. I mean, I'm anything. certain they still have to eat. but Like
1: literally anything. Literally now they've anything. got a body. They're not slug things. Just do whatever. Watch TV. Read a book. <laughs> Go play racquetball. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Like, what's the point of inhabiting this body if all you do is, oh, my God, wait, I just I just suddenly realized I was talking about me.
1: Oh, yeah. Same.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, what's the point of inhabiting this body if you're just going to sit there and do bullshit? And then I realized that that's that's just a part of my life.
1: Shit. We're getting scolded across time by K.A. Applegate. Fuck.
0: (laughs) Not undeservedly.
1: Get off the damn couch, she says.
0: Read a book. Yeah. We read are, my book. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah we that's the thing. Like
1: 54 of them, plus off series.
0: <laughs> that's how we know we're not the controllers. We're the anamorphs, Because we read. And reading's cool.
1: Reading's fundamental.
0: Uh, you get a free
1: personal pan pizza at the end of the summer.
0: God, I did that every summer, too. Talk about Absolutely. nostalgia. That, <laughs> that was the shit. You read, and then you got a free pizza? That was very yeah. good. It's a win-win. Yeah. I mean, not for childhood obesity, but for, for other stuff. Uh, so uh, Tobias has been a hawk for a week at this point. Is he, I, I know he comes from a shitty home. Are his parents aware or concerned at all that he's missing?
1: I thought they established, first book, that he was like a burden to them. Yeah. They just kind of flipped him back and forth.
0: I mean, I guess... I guess that Rachel probably wouldn't comment on that because she knows what's up with Tobias. So maybe that's maybe if this were uh, the TV version, we would see missing posters. We would see on the milk carton Tobias's face uh, and it would just never be commented upon.
1: Uh, On the other hand, Cassie's mom was pretty blasé about her being unexpectedly gone. So maybe that's just how adults are in the world of Animorphs.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's how adults pretty much were in my youth, as I recall. That's pretty much how my parents were, so.
1: Yeah, uh, and we weren't even tracks. in Tampa like these kids. Tampa? Sorry, th- the, the greater Tampa metro area.
0: Okay, so we're in Tampa. Weren't we in Tampa last week?
1: We were in Tampa last week, but Marco says it's suburbia, so it's the greater Tampa metro area.
0: Oh, okay, I like that, that very subtle adjustment. Yeah, they spent a lot of time in the burbs in this book.
1: Yeah, I... I'm actually going to take that back. They're probably not in Tampa because they mentioned the woods and people out hunting in the woods. And I don't think there are any woods around Tampa. Are they not? Like suburban or otherwise.
0: That's a shit. Yeah. It's hard to imagine uh, some ponytail beer drinking teenagers in a bunch of palm trees shooting at birds. That yeah, doesn't meld.
1: I feel like that's more of a panhandle thing. So uh, I'm I'm mentally adjusting somewhat to, I guess, Virginia, because that's the other bush gardens. Mm-hmm.
0: See, I can see, I can see people shooting down bald ego- eagles in Virginia. Like that melds with my understanding of Virginia.
1: It sort of makes a little more, you might be thinking of West Virginia.
0: I might be. I have not, I don't have a lot of context for either Virginias.
1: Sorry, Virginia and West Virginia listeners, but where we're from isn't any better.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I'm mean, speaking of reoccurring segments. One of them being, "Where do the animorphs live?" My favorite reoccurring, my personal reoccurring segment, uh, is this cannibalism. So, vizier three has that morph that allows him to suck yurks out of a host's head. They call it the. It has a special alien name, but they refer to it as the yurk bane, which is good. I think that's good. Yeah,
1: very Tolkien-esque.
0: Yeah. is the So if Vizier 3 morphs into this Yerk Bane and sucks a Yurk out of a host's head, is that cannibalism? Because he's a Yurk, mentally.
1: I mean, yes. That's like, unequivocally, yes. That's absolutely cannibalism.
0: But it's not, I mean, he's not, I guess he's physically a Yurk. I mean, I guess Yurk's their digestion doesn't work in such a way that a yerk could eat a yet another yerk, I think.
1: Jumping ahead a little, Yeah. Uh, we know from some of the events of uh, a later book that when you are in a morph, uh, y- you can taste things. Yeah. Like, hard, if it's got a better sense of taste than, than your normal form. Right. So it, he's a yerk consciousness, uh, and he can definitely taste this slug sliding down it's a conscious act of cannibalism absolutely he's a hannibal of himself
0: that's fair it is a choice he's making with knowledge
1: i mean he could he could just wait until they need candrona and come out and then stomp on them
0: yeah that's not as fun
1: no i just checked tobias lives with his uncle
0: Okay, so probably probably his uncle doesn't give a shit.
1: Yeah, it's his aunt and uncle, neither of who like him very much and pass him back and forth.
0: I appreciate that. I mean, that's that seems like a very deliberate plot point so that there's not the complication of people looking for Tobias after he morphs. But I appreciate that K.A. Applegates puts it in such a way that it's also the reason that he is a hawk. Like his shitty life is why nobody will look for him when he's a hawk, but it's also why he becomes a hawk.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's part of the attachment that, uh, or the attraction of the hawk form, the freedom of being able to fly, provides them.
0: It's super weird that the animals' brains are still a part of them when they morph. Like, the, they morph and they have their human consciousness, but they also seem to have this animal consciousness. So is Tobias just always going to be, like, two-brained? I mean, he kind of has to. I feel like if he went full Tobias, he would not be able to really fly as much anymore. And well, I know, I feel like later he struggles with that, right? I,
1: I think he does at some point, but already he's getting very, uh, he, he's very accepting already of eating live rodents. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't deny picking up some roadkill. Yeah. So I feel like he's, he's already started sort of integrating the hawk instincts into his day to day because it's just worth it to him.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think he can avoid it, like, cause I don't, how else are you gonna eat if you're not willing to, to kill rodents, cause you're a hawk now, cause you made a bad life choice Right, I mean if teenager. he'd been stuck in a
1: seagull more, if he could still get by on <laughs> hot dogs and stuff, but
0: Yeah, he could scavenge off the beach from exactly. tourists. Yeah The Tampa beaches <laughs>
1: Right, we, we're Virginia now, remember.
0: Right, the Virginia beaches.
1: Right. Uh, you know, Virginia makes more sense anyway, because if you're staging an alien invasion, um, you may want to be close to sort of the seat of power. And Virginia is oh. like, like Nova's right there next to DC.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's a, a cohesive plan, if they had that. I know at one point, Vizier mentions having an expert, just like a quote-unquote expert, that he says told him that like tigers and elephants were pretty unusual animals on earth like they aren't just hanging around and that was weird to me because it's like the an expert in what humans
1: yeah like humans. just
0: humans is that just a human though like how do you like is it is an expert in human just a human
1: who no, like you get a no bachelor's stuff? degree in muggle studies and then you're an expert <laughs> in
0: humans i think you could get a master's in that i'm pretty certain i have friends who have masters in that
1: and muggle studies. Yeah, why not? I believe it. I believe it.
0: I like So, yeah, I like the implication that I think it makes sense that they would they would try to be close to DC, just location-wise, like you're saying, because they're definitely going after people of power, but I think it's really interesting that you get the situation where the human Chapman has something to hold over the Yerk Chapman that forces them to work together against the Vizier, almost. Because if yeah. that's weird, right?
1: That's the power of love.
0: <laughs> it's beautiful, but I think it's interesting that the human Chapman knows that if he f- if he gains control, he can fuck over Yerk Chapman at just the right period. So he doesn't have a lot of control, but he has the ability to make the Yerk less valuable to the vizier, which could end up with him getting killed. So they have it's it's parasitic, but it's also symbiotic, symbiotic a little bit.
1: I mean, a little bit. bit. Uh, The initial relationship uh, was somewhat, I guess, symbiotic anyway, since he went along with it to keep them from infecting his daughter.
0: that's fucked up.
1: (laughs) Right? He's protecting Melissa.
0: Yeah, he's trying to. He and his wife are sort of trying to. But they're also sort of like, yeah, fuck the rest of humanity, as long as our daughter doesn't get turned into a yerk. But also, you have to, like, at what point, do you convince yourself that there's no long game that the Yerks are going for? <laughs> like, how do you not see, like, all right, they're going to turn everybody else into controllers except for our daughter. She's going to be the one last real human on, on
1: Earth. I mean, I guess on the other hand, though, like, they're targeting junior high school kids. <laughs> uh, they're yeah. like, yeah, we're going to infect this teenager. We're going to make her a controller. Uh, and you got to think, like, well, if that's your master plan like maybe just stop and that's enough you're never going to be able to pull this off on your own
0: it doesn't yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense i mean i guess they got to start somewhere and that's <laughs> that's a place to start
1: it's a it's a multi-level marketing scheme <laughs>
0: it's... yeah it's a it's a pyramid scheme and they've got to get a bunch of high schoolers down at the bottom level so that vizier at the top vizier three is a in a good place
1: so some more uh... Uh, another recurring segment here. We've we've got some more inconsistencies in the uh, the description of how morphine works. Yeah. Like, um, so we we have again, and this is sort of like the the first book goof, uh, with Jake recognizing that urine scent of uh, of another dog. Rachel recognizes the Chapman scent as Fluffer when she's Fluffer McKitty. She recognizes their scent. Yeah. Which, I can buy that maybe a little more because people's houses do smell different. But still, it the, it, she, it provided like a, an emotional reaction for her fluffer morph. Yeah, I thought that was described more um, verisimilitudinously.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds right.
1: Yeah, yeah. It didn't break my suspension of disbelief as much as Jake being like, oh, that dog smells neutered like I am. I recognize him.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed to be a little bit less... Confusing, Like, it, yeah, it worked in in such a way that it's like, OK, h- hypothetically, this makes sense. It's not like she didn't have like memories of the cat going down into the basement. Yeah. Uh, like might have happened in the first book. So it was a little a little bit more subtle.
1: Yeah, this one I don't think I would have caught if I wasn't like looking for it. But like I said pre-show, I'm the sort of nerd who has to grind these things down uh, into fine detail with an Animorphs technical manual until it's not fun anymore, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm the kind of nerd that wants to read all the AU stories about these books. Speaking of which, I cannot, I can't, can't fucking believe K.A. Applegate didn't tell us anything about what happened to that woman that they freed in the first book. I'm never going to let this go, because they free her. They free a woman. And then yeah, they don't just, follow up. No! She's just gone. Like, none of these kids are like, hey, so aliens are real, good luck. Or, like, hey, join join our resistance. They're just... She's just gone.
1: Right, I mean, they're not going to be able to give her the power to morph, but yeah. she has the power to own a firearm.
0: Yeah, she has the power of being an adult. Yes. And can drive.
1: But she also... She also has the power of the Yerkes knowing... Who she is and where she lives yeah. and who all her loved ones are.
0: Yeah, but I mean, she and and as as such, she can never go home again. All of her loved ones are in danger. She can't contact anybody who knows her face or her name. Like she has to disappear entirely, or else she's gonna get recaptured.
1: Yeah, well, so that's sort of mitigates any advantage that she has as being an adult, because yeah, I I know the nineties is not. The late 90s? The late 90s is not quite as rough as our current era in terms of Spying. really, like, omnipresent uh, surveillance and tracking. Yeah. But even then, I feel like it was probably pretty hard to disappear entirely and uh, become a new person with just no money.
0: I I don't know if it would have been that difficult. I guess we don't really know her assets, but I... yeah. I mean, it might be the sort of thing where she, like, she scrunches enough money to get a bus out of town and, and the Yorks pick her up there. It just, no. I mean, it just, there's so much potential for her story. I really, can we, can we give If this her... was a
1: short story, it would come full circle and it would just close with her sort of, um, bundling up in the same spot where that homeless dude that they murdered oh, in the shit. first book was sleeping.
0: God, I'd read the shit out of that fanfic, Brent.
1: <laughs> God, you should write a fanfic about this uh, woman.
0: I, I think, I think you know what, Brent. I think I'm going to, and I think that yes. that is going to be the yes. subplot of this podcast. Every oh single episode, God. I'm gonna we're gonna further her story a little bit. So right oh now she's God. panicking and she's trying to get out of town, but she doesn't have any cash on her, and she's trying to figure out like, is it worth trying to go to an ATM? How are they in the banks? Would they know if I used my card? And I mean, I, I'm i really curious as to how much the controllers retain, like the human parts retain when they're being controlled. Because there's a point where where Visor 3 sort of suggests that the deal they made is just a deal and that he'll go back on it at any time. But it doesn't seem to... Maybe I mean I guess we don't see what the humans are thinking, but I my thought was like if I were that human controller, I'd freak the shit out and try to break through right now because it's clear that he's threatening my family.
1: Well, right, and that's what Chapman does, and Eventually. to a lesser extent, uh, Tom does in the first book when uh, he thinks that Jake's being seduced into joining the sharing. <laughs> like the mask slips for a second. Yeah, but I think it's made pretty clear that no matter how hard the the host fights that the Yerk is always going to win in the end. Yeah. The only lever that Chapman had over his was that... He's a public he's, figure. Yeah, he's a principal. People are going to notice if he starts, like, seizing... Yeah. Like, ...having facial tics.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they think he... Trying the, to
1: choke himself.
0: Yeah, I think he explicitly says, like, that's something humans associate with mental illness, so I will lose my job.
1: Yeah, they won't let him around the kids, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah,
0: no kidding.
1: So... When we get a Patreon for this, are you going to script out the AU story about this woman and we'll act it out for bonus episodes?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is our... Okay, Yeah, after we finish all the books, by then I'll have the script finished and this will become a fictional anamorphs. Uh, serial, <laughs> serial radio show in which we recount the tales of this mystery woman who has no last name because none of them have last names, I guess, except for the Chapmans.
1: We can't tell you our last name. Yeah. Cause... Then they'd be able to find us, except the Yorks already know her last name. It doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Oh, shit. She has to have an entirely new name, which is good because she never gave, we never got her original name. She's so, it's just that she's so important, but she's somehow a non-character, like wait, it was wait, something wait, wait, that wait, was wait, wait. yeah
1: this is the late 90s what if she's a badass goth techno pagan hacker <laughs> and she just goes by a handle
0: i like that no i really like that okay so what's her cool handle and it, is there leet in it
1: i probably but i don't know i'm bad at cool handles
0: well okay so it should be something animal themed and, but that can also have, have leet in it because it's the 90s, and that's something I really associate with the 90s.
1: Oh, yeah, hard, especially mass media portrayals of
0: oh, hackers. quote unquote
1: hackers. Yeah,
0: she has wrap around sunglasses. Oh, she God, finds the a trench coat. for sure. Oh, yeah. God. She's so cool. Okay. Uh, she also has one of those um, plastic lace necklaces, like those She's tattoo chokers. Haircut. Yes, and a pixie haircut, and she wears glitter eyeshadow. Uh, this is just my 90s Mary Sue, I think. This is my Animorphs <laughs> Mary Sue.
1: Well, that's a hard thing to avoid in fan fiction.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I think we should just lean into it.
1: Like uh, like a mix between Jenny Calendar and Visigoth from that one episode of The X-Files.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh,
1: technopagan is the term.
0: Yeah. I love the technopagan aesthetic.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, God, what would be- we- I could
1: hear you saying that in full width Unicode. <laughs>
0: Um, shit.
1: Hecate, but spelled with leet. Uh,
0: perfect. Done. Okay. Awesome. Perfect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is way too much, uh, this is more thought than K.A. Applegate put into this, uh, ever. This character,
0: specifically, yeah. Uh, Hecate. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, I think they should have recruited her, and I also think they should have recruited Melissa, like, I, Melissa's already halfway there. She's she knows something's up. I think it would. I think they should recruit her.
1: They know that she's not a controller now, but they also know that she's uniquely placed to be made a controller at any point. Yeah, like she's right there. They already know that Visser Three is threatening to do it, and that he's probably intending to do it at some point. It's, oh yeah. Chapman's just staving off the inevitable, and she doesn't have morphin. Like it can't be morphin time for. For Melissa, they don't have the blue box, so yeah. she doesn't have any sort of defense against that.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much use she would be. It just seems like they should start recruiting with their... Maybe they could have their own kind of pseudo-cult, uh, mildly religiously themed uh, group that they could name something ominous and, and recruit people into. The Morphine? Yeah, the Morph?
1: The Morphine.
0: Come change yourself join the morph
1: gross
0: (laughs) yeah it's not a great name but neither is the sharing so no
1: that's true i think uh both are two on the nose Mm. i know you wanted to talk about this too but i thought it was really interesting how different the characterization of everybody is from rachel's perspective
0: yeah and i would say the whole tone of the book is it just it felt more engaged it felt like it was better written yeah and I couldn't. Like, did you feel that way too?
1: Yeah, like Rachel is intended to be a better writer than Jake.
0: Yeah, I yeah I couldn't pinpoint what it if it if I thought it was that or like Rachel herself is just more coherent or if Ka feels more in tune with Rachel as a character. God, I I want to ask Ka if she was almost almost kidnapped as a youth. Oh shit! Because like. That would be, that'd be a weird connection. Okay, I'll, I'll put that, if we ever get a chance to talk to K.A. Applegate, I'm going to ask her about
1: that. Episode 55, episode 55. <laughs> that not, not counting Megasodes and Hork-Bajir sodes and, and all that stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, episode 55, we're going to get K.A. Applegate on here. It's happening.
0: Great goal. I love it. Let, okay. Let me
1: just make sure she's still alive.
0: <laughs> she's still alive, yeah. I, yeah, it just read, it read more cohesive. It was definitely more engaged with like, characters thoughts and feelings like a lot of it was Rachel sort of vocalizing like oh Marco was just trying to be he was making a joke but nobody thought it was really funny it was it seemed more engaged with the group dynamic and I couldn't really tell if that was uh, because that's Rachel's character or if that was an unconscious choice by K.A.
1: I thought it was interesting that she described Jake as like just really serious all the time yeah yeah because I mean, I, see, I could sort of see that from the first one, but really what I thought was that he was kind of boring.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's definitely, yeah, I would say more boring than serious. Maybe Rachel was just being gentle with her description.
1: I guess, I mean, he is her cousin. I'm real curious to see how the rest of them describe uh, each other.
0: yeah, i'm yeah, I'm curious to see how the tone of each of the books changes to see how much that's actually reflective reflective of the characters. Yeah, I'm really, I'm especially curious to see what Cassie's point of view is like.
1: I'm, I can't wait for Marco personally. I know <laughs> Tobias is my teenage favorite, but it turns out I'm more of a Marco when it comes down to it.
0: I'm more drawn to Cassie in this, in really? this, in, in this modern reviewing, I, at least so far. There's just I, I, I appreciate her calmness a little bit more. Although God, can I say just like rereading this was was a revelation about young Jenna because it's so like uh, every time rachel pushes back about sexism and just like the low-grade sexism that marco has when he calls a girl in the mall skanks that's that was weird to me like even when i was reading these books at a young age i was still really i was definitely a proto-feminist i wouldn't say i was a feminist yet i didn't really know much about feminism but i knew sexism sexism existed and that it was bullshit and so i can really see how rachel pushing back on those issues drew me in.
1: I can totally picture that, even not having known young Jenna.
0: I mean, she, it's, you know, there's an evolution. I it, this She was the starter Pokemon of the this feminist end goal that you're talking to now.
1: I mean, I'm picturing it like one of the book covers, where it's just <laughs> little girl Jenna on one side and and feminist on the other and it shows you morphing through it.
0: Yes, that's exactly that. I can't believe I, I really so I really like the hand drawn covers. I can't believe that the cat on the cover isn't black and white.
1: Ah, you noticed.
0: Yeah, because they talk about it like eight times.
1: They really do. I totally didn't even catch it till I was reviewing the uh, Seropedia page on this this book.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like a, a blonde cat on the cover and a black and white cat in the book, which I think is pretty common for, I don't, again, I don't think a lot of people, I don't think the publishers were paying too much attention to these books.
1: Yeah, on that subject, I didn't get a chance to read both the old edition and the new edition this time. Uh, I only read the re-release. Yeah. So there... I can't say for sure that there were any major differences. I didn't see anything that seemed like it had been changed. Everything very much read like I remember it in the late '90s.
0: What was there? Anything else on your list that you wanted to talk through?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I don't remember the kids seeming this rudderless when I read it initially. Yeah? Like, they're very much gaming group style in there. (gasps) Well, what do we do now? How do we, uh, we got to do something. How do we, how do we do this? Like, uh, I don't know, catch a shrew. I mean, they really, they do not know what the hell they're doing. It's (laughs) very obvious. And they acknowledge it multiple times that they're just not even sure what to do now.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, I think eventually they come to the goal where they're like, well, we've got to find that pool so we can destroy it. But that's, it's clear from this book that that's a really long-term goal because they're not very good at this.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first time they managed to rescue one woman who they promptly forgot about forever. Yeah,
0: so. they kicked her out the door. They said, later, toots, we'll never hear from you again.
1: Oh, well, Hecate was helping them in the background uh, (laughs) via sick computer hacking and 90s kickflips and virtual reality.
0: (laughs) They'll never know, and they'll never appreciate her. I think it's really interesting that Vizzer 3 is probably... Like, he thinks they're Andalites, of course, uh, and he probably is going to kill them when he finds them. And I think that's really interesting because he doesn't want other yurks to make them hosts, because if other Yurks have Andalite hosts, his prestige of having one goes down. I thought that was really interesting, especially in regards to the discussion about capitalism that la- last episode and God, the fact that
1: referencing stuff we talked about last episode, a <laughs> lot of it got cut.
0: I hope this one. Okay, if two things have to stay, it's this uh, capitalism metaphor and it's the is this cannibalism because those are the two things I'm hanging my hats on.
1: <laughs> you, why do you have two hats? <laughs> uh,
0: one's my regular hat, and one's my hacker hat. I have to switch okay, off.
1: No, I get that. I one get of
0: that. them's one of them's gray. That's how you know, because I'm a gray
1: hat. <laughs> well, that's the normal hat. The hacker hat, I assume, is black.
0: Yeah, and it's a fedora. So I think it's really interesting in regards to capitalism, because this idea that the body you're in has value. And that if there are more bodies of that similar power, that yours is less valuable.
1: That is an excellent reading of it and way more high-minded than mine because (laughs) I was just thinking that Visser 3 is like Cobra Commander uh, in terms of harebrained schemes that uh, will never work and having a special knife for stabbing people in the back when he's backed (laughs) against a wall.
0: Yeah, it does seem pretty unnecessary. Like, you could have just had your... your, I mean, I guess he wanted to interrogate him, and that's fine, but...
1: Yeah, but you're absolutely correct. He obviously does not care about aiding the war effort as much as he cares about (laughs) his own position within the Yurik power structure, which I guess sort of makes sense, given that they have somewhat of a pyramidal power structure.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely layers and hierarchy, and I think at one point the Chapmans are talking about uh, how... Uh, mr chapman saw that hologram of the yerk bane slurping out a specific like known yerk like a yerk that they all knew and they said something like a yerk from the second century uh and it read a little bit like sci-fi nonsense but i (laughs) i I like the idea that uh like it was a just a really old and very well-known yerk that the vizier the vizier I'm gonna I'm gonna do that for the rest of this show. Vizer versus Vizier.
1: That's fine. I'm gonna keep going. Yerk and Yerk.
0: Okay, I like that. Okay, good. We're covering all our bases. It, it the fact that he just eats this really famous, well-known Yerk because he can because he has the Yerkbane morph. And how nightmarish is that? Like he has a specific morph dedicated to cannibalizing his own kind to keep them in line.
1: Yeah, he's. Very much a rule-by-fear sort of dude.
0: And, I mean, it, it works. Kind of.
1: I mean, I guess we'll find out.
0: Yeah, that's true. We'll see in the long term. Whenever they describe a taxon being sliced open and that green-yellow fluid coming out, it makes me oh, think God. of a really runny egg yolk. <laughs> like, when you, when you fork into it and all that goo spills out, because when I... When I see that goo spill out, I'm like, yeah, God, I want that goo. Uh, and I feel like it's probably, I feel like the taxon. <laughs> I feel like the taxon probably have a similar feeling when they see another taxon get split open. More
1: oh, cannibalism. Shit. You need to upload the audio of this because I want that to be my new ringtone. <laughs> Yeah. God, I want that goo. <laughs> you
0: don't want that egg goo? When you see That's, an egg split open, oh, you're that not that like, gotta get that goo. goo. Gotta get some toast up in there. It's gotta yeah, sop absolutely. that up. Let me lick my <laughs> plate. Gotta get that good protein in. Good. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? <laughs>
1: um, oh, I thought it was interesting, uh, or not interesting necessarily, but but notable definitely, that at this point... Like, Tobias's narrative that he's pushing, and that sort of the rest of them are buying into to a certain extent, is that the Andalites are coming to save them.
0: Yes! Yes!
1: Like, they very much view what they're doing right now as
0: like buying Like a stop-get time. measure, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're keeping them from taking over long enough for the Andalites to come and save everything.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really grim, because that's like the last line of this book, is Tobias saying, uh, we just need to keep it together till the Andalites get here. Um.
1: Yeah, especially because I feel like I feel like the Andalites maybe don't even care that
0: much. No, they super don't. I don't think. Like I know they are around and they show up once or twice, but like that's they're waiting for backup that never
1: really materializes. I mean, now, granted, neither has finished the series yeah. when we were kids. So maybe it does materialize. <laughs> maybe the Andalites show up guns blazing, riding in on uh, out of the sunset with their white hats and save the day. But the tone of the series so far does not say to me that that's g- how it's going to turn out.
0: And that's it's a really big assumption Tobias is making. And yeah, you're right. They all seem to sort of buy into that being the case. Like, they're just trying to weaken the Yurks... Uh, in time for the actual heroes to show up, um, not at all realizing that they're it. They're it.
1: I think we do uh, discover during this episode the concept of, um, like, Yerkes spawning pools and there being some sort of relation between Yerks that spawned in the same pool. Oh,
0: yeah, the spawnmate comment about how he was going to get a spawnmate for Chapman's daughter.
1: So that's an interesting little bit of Yerk anthropology mm-hmm. showing up. Hmm. Uh, in book two.
0: Yeah, and I thought that was interesting because it's like a spawn... What I recall of Yurk mating rituals is that like three of them bind together and then split apart into a bunch more Yurks and that's sort of how they multiply. Do you remember that?
1: I do not remember this at all. And frankly, when I think about Yurk reproduction, I think of that episode of Futurama where Kif gets pregnant.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: That's, that's my conception, <laughs> is that whole ritual out in the swamp. That's, that's
0: extra distressing.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, pretty much.
0: Yeah. The thing I described might have been, that might have been fan fiction. That might not be canon.
1: Uh, erotic fan fiction, almost certainly.
0: Yeah. Erotic fan fiction, but in a very confusing way. Like, it's erotic fan fiction for a yerk, but I don't think it did
1: much for a young Jenna. Young Jenna dodged a bullet, perhaps.
0: Yeah, for sure. A lot of them i thought it was interesting this idea that uh two yerks are like siblings in a way by being spawn mates and that they might get put in like a father-daughter human set like there there are some weird implications there not necessarily with the the well maybe with the the father-daughter set of them actually being siblings in practice uh, that was sort of a, an interesting concept to me, and I I don't know how important family ties
1: are to the Yurks. I mean, I it sounds like they're all just gonna sit like on the couch and stare at the wall. Fuck yeah. So I don't I I'm not sure that the family dynamic really enters into it, except as part of the act that they put on when they're out in public.
0: That's true, and super creepy.
1: So, why do you think they sent Jake in as a flea?
0: I mean, I think they didn't trust.
1: Rachel. But, like, why? Yeah. Was it just the I... recent trauma of Tobias uh, getting stuck?
0: Oh, maybe. I mean, that seems like part of it. Tobias is the one who seems to have set the rest of the group on Rachel's back, kind of literally. And I, I think it's interesting that you have these moments where Tobias is clearly talking one-on-one to the members of the group through thought speech, And the other, like, Rachel can tell when he's talking to Cassie. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic to set up. But maybe not a good one for group
1: cohesion. Tobias is always going to spend a lot of time talking privately to Rachel. Mm. um, Just by dint of having a super crush on her.
0: Yeah, and he seems, I mean, they all seem pretty concerned. And not for no reason, uh, Rachel does have maybe a, a loner streak that might have gotten her into trouble. I think it's I th- think the book is a little ambiguous because like Rachel asks Jake to stop talking so she can concentrate on being a cat and not getting noticed by Chapman, and Jake keeps talking and I think he wa- was talking or they were having a conversation when Chapman hits her with his shoe and discovers them. So I think there's this question of. If Jake the Flea hadn't been there, would she have been able to have dodged? And if, I mean, there's a question there that I think is interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as far as I could tell, Jake the Flea did not really contribute much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Other than
1: happening to, like, hop off and change into a human and change back into an animal when they went to the construction site. But all the rest of them were there anyway, so all it really did was, like, All it really did was signal to Rachel that Jake doesn't trust her to deal with her shit.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I don't know what his plan was. Like, I'm going to go in as a flea and not be able to see or hear. I can talk to Rachel, but neither of them can talk to anybody else in the group because they're too far away. Like, why? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. know. I don't know either. I question your leadership, Jake.
1: I question Jake's leadership anyway, because like I said, he's already making some pretty dubious... Uh, calls morally speaking yeah ethically i don't know <laughs> all right well that'll do it for this week folks um thanks for listening to fandalites uh you can find more at fandalites.com
0: like and subscribe uh, follow- and tell your friends and and pick up some animorph books and read along with us please
1: us on twitter at fandalites Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the intro and outro music. You can find more of his stuff at DustinOdell.Bandcamp.com. We'll see you next week when we cover book three, The Encounter, this one from Tobias's perspective.
0: Very exciting.
1: I'm I'm just super amped about it.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.
1: And remember, folks, nostalgia is a drug.